0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Egedet Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: Page 1082 Even now that the temple is destroyed a Jew receives his life, his soul is connected to godliness And when you sin, something dies inside of you. Now, as we learned last week, not only the uh, severe sins, the sins which come with a death sentence, a death penalty, or in the hands of heaven, or Karras, where the Torah says you're completely cut off, because the Jewish soul is connected to its source, as it says... In uh, the end of Deuteronomy, in Hazinu, that uh, Yaakov, Hevel, Nachloset. Torah says Yaakov is the portion of his inheritance. So the Alter Rebbe says Hevel literally means a rope, because it's a rope that's connected, that's made up of 613 strands. A rope connects you, you're down here, and how do you connect to the one on the roof? Through a rope. So how does the soul connect it with Godliness? Through a rope and this rope is made up of 613 strands when you do a mitzvah you strengthen that connection when you sin you cut off a strand you snip a strand and you, your connection weakens when you do a sin with the Torah says karis you cut off the whole rope you like cut off your, your you, you, cut, you, you cut yourself off Jewishly you cut yourself off and spiritually usually for most Jews this is a red line you would never cross when the Torah says you get karis that's why Jews are so careful when it comes to a bris or when it comes to celebrating Pesach or uh, Yom Kippur, fasting in Yom Kippur when the tater says your life is cut off that's a red line for most Jews it's a red line you won't cross idolatry certain red lines you won't cross because it touches you in such a deep place it's going to affect your whole connection to, to, to your Jewishness you can't pretend that I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish and then go ahead and act and violate and trespass and violate a karas prohibition but there are many things that the Talmud says it's the equivalent of karas it's the equivalent of idolatry because it does the same damage to your soul for example a Jew who's stingy a person who's stingy with his money and can't part with his money can't be generous with his money can't give tzedakah the Talmud says it's the equivalent of idolatry so, a person who's stingy, you do tremendous damage. You inflict tremendous damage to your soul. Suicidal. Spiritual suicide. The Talmud says if a person who speaks lush and harder. You slander another person. It's also the equivalent of idolatry. It's not something light. The damage that it does to your soul is the equivalent of idolatry. Gossip the Talmud says if a person gets anger if a person loses his temper it's the equivalent of a dollar. the damage that it does to his soul is the equivalent of a doubt the Talmud says spends a whole page in the beginning of Saita describing the damage that's done through Dasar Ruach an arrogant person a person who's arrogant who's stuck up is the equivalent of a dollar. you deny God So the damage that you do to your soul, something dies inside of you. So if a person would be a master accountant, a person would take an accounting of a soul and realize that as a result of my actions, look what I have done to myself. Look at the damage that I have done. I've devastated my soul. I've damaged my soul. And I'm dead inside, spiritually speaking. Which is worth, spiritual death or physical death? If we cry over the tragedy of physical death, how much more so we should cry over the tragedy of spiritual death. It's much more painful, much deeper, much, much more real. So a person realizes the damage that you've done, it's enough to break your heart, it's enough to break your arrogance, and to wipe the smug, the smugness, to wipe that smirk off your face. And that false sense of bravado and smugness and self-contentness and self-satisfaction which hinders and doesn't allow you to grow and to change. And suddenly now your heart is broken, your heart is shattered. Now you're open, you're open to change, you're open to growth. Now suddenly you can regain your appetite for life, your hunger for life, is for spirituality. Now you can become a seeker and a searcher and you can be open to change. A person who's not open to godliness, a person who's not open to change, because a person is so satisfied with himself in a very foolish way in a very superficial way but when a person does a master accounting and you take an accounting of your life and you own your life and you take responsibility for your life and you realize what you've done to yourself then it can open you up this is the sure way this is the clear way to get you to do teshuva and that it should last it should stick it's something that's real because you've addressed the root cause of the problem the root cause of all our sins is ultimately because it comes from arrogance false arrogance so when you overcome that arrogance and you wipe that smirk off your face then you can be open to real change and when you're open to real change that's the shuvah so this is the, the straight path how to do teshuva, and do teshuvah effectively. And now he's going to add, this idea of teshuva is something that we do each and every night. Before we go to bed, we make an accounting, a master accounting of our previous day. And sleep is like one-sixtieth of death. When you go to sleep, it's a little taste of death. Like the ultimate sleep. When we're going to sleep forever, till the resurrection. Every night we experience a whiff of death. Our we lose consciousness, and our body is like uh, half dead. So it's a time to make an accounting for what we've accomplished that day, or not accomplished. And there's a prayer. That we say during the Shema at night before we go to sleep. And there's a special prayer which we take upon ourselves the four death sentences, the four death penalties. We take upon ourselves. May it be your will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, if I have erred, sinned, and willfully transgressed before you and caused a defect in the letter Yud of your great name, Yudke Vavke by neglecting to read the Shema and in a deeper sense even if I read the Shema but I didn't read it with the proper intention what is the proper intention? To read it with intention Shema is, is it's not just reading the words Hashem Echad you're unifying Hashem and you're saying you're making the ultimate statement you're ready to give up your life because for Hashem's unity for the sake of Hashem's unity Hashem is one there's no other reality but Hashem so if you don't fully mean it and and, and uh, you just mouth the words, but you don't really mean it and say the Shema in the full sense of the word. And in the letter of the name Adnai Aleph, and I have incurred the penalty of stoning. And the like in your righteous courts, I hereby accept stoning. As if I have been stoned. By means of the letter Aleph of the name adnai in the great court of Jerusalem for the sake of the glory of your name. I've incurred the penalty of stoning. Because, what?
0: We're waving all our defenses here, right? Is that what's <laughs> happening
1: here? You're waving a defense? Well, you, 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 you're doing the confession.
0: You're doing the confession, you're accepting the punishment.
1: Accepting the punishment. Even these? Accepting the punishment. In so a spiritual sense, since by doing teshuvah.
0: So when judgment comes, there's no defenses after you do this?
1: Well, just the opposite. This is the best defense. Because. It keeps you in straight. Because if a person comes clean, and he comes clean, and he begs mercy, and this is the way to soften all all the defenses. Because when you come clean, if you criticize yourself, then even the sense of justice says, let's have mercy. He's only human, he's remorseful, he's honest, he's upfront, he's not wiggling, and he's not uh, wheedling his way out, he's not excusing himself, he's facing it like a man, and he's coming clean, and he's regretting it, and he's taking upon himself to change. (laughs) Al-Tarebi is not giving explanations in prayer. Al-Tarebi is not a commentary on prayer. Tanya is not a commentary on prayer. When we say this prayer, we're doing Teshuvah. The the time of reading Shema at night is a time to do Teshuvah. We're taking stock. We're being the master accountant. We're taking stock of our entire day, and we're doing Teshuvah, and we're returning and repenting. So we're saying that we regret We sincerely regret if we haven't read the Shema properly. And we haven't read the Shema properly, meaning instead of unifying Hashem, instead of in a very deep, profound, real way, understanding Shema, listening and hearing and really grasping and getting the idea that there's no other reality but Hashem, with all the implications that that brings with. If there's no other reality but Hashem, then your whole life has to be about Hashem, about godliness. And since you did not read the Shema properly, as a result, you were punished with stoning. We mean in the spiritual sense.
0: And everybody is saying that.
1: Everyone, well, everyone including is saying the everyone, Exactly, including a tzaddik. Of course, obviously, the tzaddik, who is not talking about a sin. We're talking about even the tzaddik, who's read the Shema, but maybe it wasn't read with the proper intention. It wasn't read to the maximum the way the tzaddik has to read it. And not only that, we're reading the Shema, even though we read the Shema yesterday. What is the likelihood that the Tzaddik is going to sin every day with a sin that's the equivalent of stoning? Even though we just brought from the Talmud, there's four sins that the Talmud mentioned as the equivalent of idolatry, which, is, which comes with the, with the stoning. But nevertheless, to say that every single day, the Tzaddik can honestly get up there and say, I sinned and I deserved Stoning. That's a little dishonest, a little disingenuous. Especially if he just said it yesterday, last night. So, this is the point Al Terebi is making. What, what, what we learn from this is, and although he gave an explanation, he gave an explanation. In chapter 29 of the first part of Tanya, he explained that the shuvah is ongoing, even if a person sinned, and he mended, he fixed it. But Shuva is ongoing. Because as you evolve, as you grow, yesterday's Shuva is insufficient. In order for you to reach a higher level, yesterday's Shuva now suddenly holds you back. It's like when you wear a black suit, the ketchup stain won't show up. But if you wear a white suit, suddenly that ketchup stain is glaring. So when you're on a lower level, spiritually speaking, so the sin, you've neutralized the sin, you've done Shuva. The truva, the sin, was a negative pull on you. It pulls you down. When you sin, it pulls you in a negative way. When you do the shuva, you neutralize that negative pull. And now you're clear. You're in the clear. You're being pulled upward. Suddenly, you want to reach a higher level as time evolves. And suddenly you feel a drag again. Why do I feel a drag? I did truva yesterday. Because the Teshuvah was sufficient for yesterday. That's what he explained in chapter 29, the first part of Tanya. You'll listen to the lessons in Tanya.com. But the the uh, the now that you're ready to reach a higher level of Teshuvah, now that you want to go to the next level, yesterday's sin becomes a drag in you. I need a much higher, deeper level of Teshuvah. So that's the signal. If it's a drag, it's telling you that It's time to do Tshuva. That's why every Yom Kippur we have to do Tshuva. Why does the Jew have to do Tshuva every single Yom Kippur? We're guaranteed we're going to sin between last Yom Kippur and this Yom Kippur. I already atoned for those sins. Because every year, as we evolve, we're a year older and wiser, the sins that we atoned for last year come back to haunt us. Because it's not enough. Now to get to the next level, I need a much deeper Tshuva. I have to reorganize myself on a much deeper level. Become re centered and refocused on a much deeper level. So that would explain, in a revealed way, that would explain why every night we have to say the same prayer over again. Even though I, I mended it yesterday, I took care of it yesterday. Yes, that was good enough yesterday, but now is, it's a new day, it's a brand new day, and therefore to go further, I need a much deeper level. That, that, that's a good explanation, but here the Al is giving a much deeper explanation. He says that's, a, that's the explanation according to the revealed part of the Torah. But he says the explanation, according to the secrets, according to the mystical dimension of the Torah, it's much deeper than that. And that is, that just like he explained, when you sin, especially a sin where the Torah says the penalty is death, or courage, your soul is cut off, your soul dies inside of you, something dies inside of you. And then he went on to say that the Talmud says there are a few sins, select sins, that have the same impact on our soul. For example, arrogance, stinginess, losing your temper, gossip, slandering, has the exact same impact on our soul. It destroys us inside. Something dies, kills us inside. But he says the truth is that even when a Jew doesn't do a positive mitzvah, and even if he does it, but it's not done with the proper intention, it also has a damaging effect on our soul. And the same effect, it kills our soul, something dies inside of us. And we see this in this prayer. And this prayer is even said by the tzaddik. So what's the tzaddik saying? He didn't sin, and he didn't slander, and he didn't lose his temper, and he has no arrogance. But he read the Shema, but he didn't read the Shema properly. And what is the result? The result was that he incurred the penalty of stoning. What does it mean spiritually? He wasn't stoned. You're reading the Shema, you're alive. Spiritually, your so, stone means... Uh, stone means specifically... Why, what's a stoning? Your heart becomes like a stone. When your heart becomes like a stone, that's a spiritual punishment. Suddenly, your heart is like a stone, unmoving, uninspired... Nothing moves you. Nothing touches you. You become completely cut off from godliness. You're dead. Completely dead inside. Why? Why would this happen to you? This is a consequence. It's a consequence because you didn't read the Shema properly. Had you read the Shema properly. In a deep way. In a real way. And you would have realized. And internalized. That there's no other reality but Hashem. Hashem is the ultimate reality and there's nothing else. And your substance is godly and there's nothing else. Uh, then you would respond to godliness. You would react to godliness. It would be the most natural thing in the world. But since you didn't read the Shema properly. You read the Shema. You mouthed the words. You were in the synagogue where you were thousands of miles away. So since you didn't read the Shema properly. Therefore the result was. skilah. Spiritually, your soul died inside. Your soul is dead. You don't respond anymore to anything God. You're dead. That's the equivalent of stoning. Just like physically, physically, what's worse, when you physically stone someone to death or when you stone your own soul to death? You're stoned. Not in the vernacular sense, but stoned in the, as a, in the sense you're dead. Your heart is like a stone. That's the worst punishment. It's the worst. From all the four, this is the worst. When your heart becomes like a stone, and you lose your appetite, and you lose your hunger, and you lose your thirst for godliness, and you lose, you stop seeking and stop searching. That's 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 death. Consciously, your soul died. You're dead. You're dead inside. So, yeah. Uh, this is one
0: of the practicals. So, I had an experience today, right? You're saying the prayers and all of a sudden, I mean rarely, saying it with Kavana, but now all of a sudden you realize you're saying it with Kavana. As soon as you realize you're saying it with Kavana, you lose it. You lose it. And you can't get back there. That's not true. <laughs> I speak for myself. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> so so, so the, the question is as a practical matter, we really don't know, we don't really learn. I know that. They say you, you have to just kind of let your minds float back to where you were, whatever. But the more you think about it, the less you can do it. And, you, you, and to lose that sense... So that's, that's, that's part A of the question. Part B of the question is, does it really matter with respect to how you feel when you're davening? I mean, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's an offering to Hashem. You're doing it, and it's an offering to Hashem, but... Do you have to feel like quote, you're in the zone or something so that that makes it the proper way of, of davening?
1: Yes. But the davening is like a ladder. You know, you don't get there. That's the ultimate of davening. That's the peak. That's the Shimon Esri. The Shimon Esri, when you're standing still, the silent davening, that's when you become unself conscious. That's when you're standing in Hashem's presence and you have no sense of self. When you're standing in the King's presence, you're completely unselfconscious. You have no sense of self. But you don't just get there all of a sudden. There is a process. First, the first part of davening, the, the first rung in the ladder is four rungs. First rung in the ladder, and then the second rung from Barusha, till Barasham, and then the second rung, Barasham, you know, you talk the praises of Hashem, and you see Hashem's hand in history, and you see Hashem's hand in nature, and, and then you come to the third rung of davening, you talk about the angels, and, and higher levels of consciousness, and higher realizations, and awareness, and ultimately it leads you to the level where you become completely unself-conscious. Um, but you don't just get there just like that Mincha is different Mincha you're able to jump right in because Mincha is the heat of the moment the heat of the business day you're able to tear yourself away and be able to dive in so it gets you straight to the that self-sacrifice brings you straight into the zone brings you straight, straight there you don't need any long preparations but the more you get the deeper you get into it And then that's the highest level when you reach a level of unself-consciousness.
0: And then there's also this this flow toward and back. So the fact that you have to come away from it and go back to it, and there's a flow that also impedes your...
1: No, that's a a healthy flow. That's like the heart beating in and out. That's the way you breathe. Because that you tear yourself away. Comes the end of Shemun You have to tear yourself away. The Baal Shem Tov said, when before he used to go to Daven, he used to say goodbye to his family. Because he wasn't sure if he was going to make it. You know, when you say in Davening, love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul, he loved Hashem with all his... He he literally lived it. He didn't just say it. So he wasn't sure if he's going to make it to Davening. But he did make it after every Davening. That's because that, you tear yourself away because you remember, you realize, this is what Hashem wants of me. I'm Hashem's ambassador. I have a mission. I have a job to fulfill. So therefore, that becomes a healthy part of you you pulling yourself back. And, and then you're going back to Hashem, pulling yourself back. It's constant back and forth. Because the only way you can fulfill your mission of tikkun olam, of fixing this world, is only because you don't want to be in this world. You want to be connected with Hashem.
0: So it's a question of training yourself.
1: Right? It's, it's, it's a rhythm. It's a rhythm. Shabbos and the six days of the week. It's a rhythm that's the rhythm of the Jew in and out back and forth you pull yourself away and then but that's the way of the soul also and that's the way of the divine energy that creates us the divine energy is constantly creating us and then it's pulling back it's creating us and pulling back that's, the universe breathes it's, it's, it's Hashem's divine energy is constant, back and forth back and forth because again you know the, because that's the way of the soul because how can the soul animate the body because the soul it's not, the soul is not about animating the body. The soul is beyond animating the body, and therefore the soul has the ability to animate the body. So there's constantly this back and forth. the divine speech, the divine energy that creates us, it's because it's connected to the divine. But its mission is to create us, to sustain us. So it's a paradox. Its mission is to create us and sustain us, so we 're real, but on the other hand, the only reason it could sustain and create us is because it 's completely godly and that 's why it 's only because by jumping back and forth that it can accomplish both it has the, it retains that divinity it retains that divine ability and divine energy and it it with that divine energy it creates and sustains us the soul because the soul has a much deeper definition than you know, animating the body. Therefore, the soul is constantly back and forth, therefore it has the ability to create to to, to animate the body. And that's why we rest. Why do we rest? A person works and then you rest. You, you have to restore yourself. You have to restore your energy. Because the only reason you're able to be creative and do whatever you're doing is because it's connected to the soul. But when you're out there externally creating, you lose that connection. So has to, you need that constant rest, restoration, coming back inside, withdrawing back inward, reconnecting to the source, rejuvenating, and then being able to go back out and create. There has to be this back and forth and back and forth. Otherwise, and that's, that's the pulse of life. Otherwise, we couldn't exist. And that's so to our relationship with Hashem. Also has to be... A Jew is able to influence the world only because we're not defined by the world. The moment we become defined by the world, we lose our ability to influence the world. And yet we're engaged and involved in the world. The only way to accomplish this is by going back and forth and back and forth, breathing in and out. Shabbos and the weekday. Davening and then going out into the world. Being self-aware and then losing our awareness and, 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 and then coming back into reality. Obviously, Hashem doesn't want us to stand in this presence 24-7. If we were to stand in this presence 24-7, we would not be allowed to work. That's why on Shabbat and on on a holiday, a Jewish holiday, you're not allowed to work. When you're standing in Hashem's presence, if you work, you're considered a traitor. Off with your head. But six days a week, it's a mitzvah to work. Because six days a week, we're not standing in Hashem's presence. And that's why Hashem wanted it. But then we, in Shemoneser, we stand in Hashem's presence. Therefore, you're not allowed to move. You're not allowed to wink. You're not allowed to move. You're, not to, you're standing in Hashem's presence. So, And then after Shemoneser, we go back into our regular awareness, regular consciousness. So this is the back and forth. the constant. So this, this actually sustains us. This is not... It's, it's a healthy tension. This is a paradox, but it's a healthy paradox. This is... It's a virtuous cycle. One feeds the other. You withdraw and therefore you yearn to connect. And you connect and then you realize that Hashem wants us to come back. And it goes on and on and on. That's the beat of life. That's the pulse of life. So this is the confession of the Tzaddik, which he says each and every night. Because although the Tzaddik is not suspect that he sinned, with any of the sins of gossip, or arrogance, or losing temper, or or um, or stinginess. And even if he did, he had already done Teshuvah. Why do we have to repeat this each and every night? But even the tzaddik has to ask himself, did I read the Shema according to my ability 100%? Did I truly, truly... Get what the Shema is saying, that I truly experienced Hashem the unity of Hashem, to the extent that I'm ready to sacrifice my life for, for the sake of Hashem's unity. And if not, what's the consequence? You're stone. Your heart becomes like a stone. Spiritually, you die inside. The same effect of a sin, by not doing a mitzvah properly, it can have the same effect on your soul. The soul is so sensitive. The soul is so genuine that if you don't serve Hashem genuinely something dies inside of your soul it has a tremendous effect on your soul You cause a defect in the Yud of Hashem's name which represents wisdom the reality, the truth it was not the reality but Hashem and because you didn't read the Shema properly and therefore you didn't internalize this truth as a result you were punished by Skila you brought upon yourself you incurred the penalty of skila of, of being stoned to death. Your heart became like a stone. Is
2: it reversible?
1: Yeah. That's why we do Teshuvah. That's why we're doing truva. Right, exactly. Same, same. That's the miracle of Truva. That's the that's the miracle of Truva. The miracle of Truva, the Alta Rebbe says elsewhere in the l- Lakuti Well, how do you damage to skila when skila in essence is
2: not reversible? When you kill somebody, you can't bring it back to
1: That's the uh, science hasn't yet figured out how to uh, reconnect the detached head. (laughs) They can reconnect the detached hand, legs, uh, in other parts of the body. But the transplant, we haven't figured out yet a a head transplant. We figured out a heart transplant, but no one figured out a head transplant because you're dead. But that's the miracle of Teshuvah because it is the equivalent, you're right. And spiritual is much worse than physical. So really, it should be impossible to tshuva. Once you chop off your head, it's finished. But that's the miracle, Hashem. That's the power of the tshuva. Tshuva is such a miraculous phenomenon. As the the, the the Talmud says, it's one of the things that precedes creation, because it's beyond time. You're reaching, you're reaching into your past, and you're mending your past. That's the power of the tshuva. It's, it's beyond comprehension. Only Hashem has that power. And Hashem Shuvah, touches Hashem. It's, you know, it says in the Medrash, a sinner asked, uh, if I sin, what should be my punishment? The answer was, you should die. What should be your punishment? You sinned, you chopped off your head, you're dead. There's no mending, there's nothing to do. Nothing I can do. And he asked the Torah, what should I do? The Torah says, bring a sacrifice. Bring a korv. But again, the sacrifice only helps for unintentional sin. And a certain, certain select few intentional sins. A guilt of. And only Hashem says, they asked Hashem, what should you do? And Hashem says, you should do Teshuvah and you will be forgiven. Because only Hashem has that power. It's not within the realm of the universe, even the spiritual universe. The ability of Teshuvah makes no sense exactly as you just pointed out. If you chop off someone's head, he's finished, he's done. I was
2: wondering how, how is that a good analogy? In reality...
1: that's the miracle of Teshuvah that Teshuvah even though it shouldn't be be able to logically it should not help because it is like skil when the Torah says an analogy it's a real analogy it is like stoning and really it should be irreversible and yet this is the miracle of Teshuvah and that's what what we're doing with this prayer we're saying at night we're doing Teshuvah we're not just reading words we're doing Teshuvah and if Hashem sees because if this is enough to break your heart once the, the person realizes even if I didn't do any sin that incurs a death penalty, and even if I wasn't arrogant, I didn't lose my temper, and I didn't slander today, and I wasn't stingy, I was quite generous, but if I realize that I read the Shema, but I didn't read it properly, I've done damage to my soul, I've killed my soul, I've murdered my soul, something died inside of me, that breaks your heart, and if it breaks your heart, then you're going to genuinely open up your heart to change. And you turn to Hashem and say, I'm sorry. I'm Tomorrow I'm going to read Shema with every fiber of my being, every bone of my body. I'm not going to make the same mistake. That's the Shuvah. And therefore, Shuvah helps, and the damage is undone. Hashem reattaches your head. So why, why as
2: the person gets to the next level, that reattachment doesn't help when the person is shtiding uh, or is being elevated to the next level, you're saying yesterday's Shuvah is not sufficient, for tomorrow's tomorrow's uh, uh, person's...
0: Uh, right,
1: because... By
2: definition, it's something that doesn't sound right there. Why does the truth of yesterday does not help for tomorrow? So when the a person goes up to the next level in, in, in a verse of Hashem.
1: Because when a person sins, you, cre- you, you create a scar. You create a negative energy. And that negative energy has an effect on you. When you do teshuva you neutralize that negative energy. You undo that damage. So you've undone that damage for this level. But once you reach a higher level, that a, that sin now is a new drag and doesn't allow you to advance to the next level. You can't pretend. Teshuvah is not a pretend. You can't pretend that what happened didn't happen. It doesn't, it doesn't pretend that what you've done never happened. What you've done happened, you can't, you can't pretend it didn't happen. But you change it from a negative, you can change it into a positive. Instead of it being a negative energy that, turned, that schleps you down and drags you down, now it's turned into a positive energy. But that's effective on this level. But once you reach a much more complex, a much higher level, then that event now... Doesn't allow you to go further. That event now begins to exert a negative energy in you, a negative pull. And in order to neutralize that negative energy and to transform it into a positive energy, I have to do teshuvah, I have to revisit it, and I have to do teshuvah, I have to reorganize myself and recenter and refocus on a much, 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 much deeper level.
0: A sin that you've already done. A sin that you've already done. But you, right.
1: Shuvahful. That's why David Melo says, my sin is always in front of me. Even though you did shuvah already, because yesterday's shuvah is not enough for today. And the simple analogy, you have a black suit, you have a stain, it won't show up. But as you grow a very silk, white suit, suddenly yesterday's stain, which didn't show up, now it shows up. Yesterday didn't show up, it didn't bother me. Now it bothers me. As, as you reach a higher level suddenly even the smallest thing becomes an issue you know it says even Yeravim ben he's going to have to answer Yeravim ben one of the greatest sinners in Jewish history who split the Jewish people into two the ten tribes he led them into oblivion ultimately and yet he was a sinner and caused the Jewish people to sin who had such greatness there was no one greater amongst the Jewish people than Yeravim ben him and him and David HaMelech were like this the highest level, and he fell. He fell very because of his arrogance. And it says, when Yeravam Ben Nevat will have to answer for all his sins. And after he atones for all his sins, after he's gonna have to answer for why he didn't make Eirav Tavshilim, <laughs> one of the lightest sins. Eirav Tavshilim was like this Pesah, the last days of Pesah. Yom was on Friday in Shabbos. He's not allowed to cook. The rabbis rabbis us from cooking. Forbid us from cooking for Yom Tov and Shabbos, because if you're going to cook for Yom Tov and Shabbos, you're going to come to cook for Yom Tov for a weekday, so you're going to you're going to treat Yom Tov very lightly. It's like this: if you realize they don't even let me cook for Shabbos, how much more so that I'm not allowed to cook for a weekday? So therefore, in order to allow you to cook from Friday for Shabbos, you have to cook something in advance before the holiday on Thursday, put it aside, and so it's like I began the preparations before the holiday, so that will trigger, that will, that will allow me to realize that it's not simple, I can't just cook, I have to do something special just to enable me to cook. But otherwise, surely if I can't cook for Shabbat, surely I can't cook for the holiday. This is one of the lightest mitzvot, rabbinic mitzvot. And Yeravim Benavot is, is accused of the worst sins in the world. And this is what the heavenly court is going to be worried about. Whether he made of Tavshil and didn't make it of tafshil, <laughs> Whether he fulfilled this, this, this uh, precept. They didn't fulfill this precept. The answer is yes. Because once your soul is cleansed. And once your soul is restored. And once your soul. Then even the slightest thing will interfere. Will get in the way of your progress. Why was Hashem so careful with the righteous ones? The slightest sins by us will be considered mitzvot. But the slightest deviation, because they were so special and so holy and they're so perfect, the smallest thing could interfere. It creates static and doesn't allow the soul to advance, doesn't allow the soul to move. But this is a subject that was discussed at length in chapter 29. You can go to lessonsintani.com, and you, you can, we can, we can learn it there. Let's focus on what he's discussing here. Here he's discussing how you don't, have to, you don't need that explanation. Just the fact that I haven't done a mitzvah properly has the same damaging effect on my soul. It robs my soul. It robs me of my soul. My soul dies inside. It's self immolation. It's suicide, spiritual suicide. Because the effect of not reading the Shema properly, I become stone. My heart becomes like a stone. And then we continue, the next paragraph. And if I have erred, sinned, and willfully transgressed before you, and caused a defect in the first letter, hey, by neglecting to fill in, in the second letter of the name Adonai. And I may have incurred the penalty of burning and the like. What is Tfilin? Tefillin is, you have to dedicate your mind to Hashem. You have to dedicate your intellect to Hashem. Your power of intellect to Hashem. And instead of dedicating your power of intellect to Hashem to understand and to grasp godliness, you didn't take it seriously. You didn't take... The reality of Hashem seriously enough that it should engage you, fully engage your mind. That's what it means he didn't put on film. Not literally, he didn't put on film. We're talking to the Tzaddik who's reading Shema. Usually, people who read Shema at night, uh, you can vouch, they probably put on film that day. <laughs> people who don't put on film are not reading Shema at night. <laughs> so, we, he physically put on film, but the idea of film he didn't fulfill. He didn't dedicate his mind to Hashem, exclusively to Hashem. And therefore, As a result, as a consequence, he incurred the penalty of burning. What does it mean when you burn? When your heart burns with desires for materialism, for all the wrong things. Instead of your heart burning for Hashem, instead of your heart being on fire for Hashem, which is the result of tefillin, tefillin, when you dedicate your mind and your heart, it leads to your heart. Tefillin is dedication of the mind and heart. Because when you dedicate your mind and you truly meditate and grasp, fully grasp the idea of godliness, it evokes a response in your heart. Suddenly you start having a feel developing a feeling, a love, an attraction, a feeling for godliness. It comes alive to you. <coughs> but since you neglected fillin, you did not dedicate your mind. So yes, abstractly you know that Gashem is one and abstractly you believe, but it doesn't penetrate. It doesn't really engage you. It doesn't really occupy your mind. And therefore, it can't develop. You don't allow yourself to develop a mature emotional connection with Hashem. A mature emotional connection with Godliness. And therefore, as a result, nature abhors a vacuum. What happens when you don't have a fiery, flaming love to Hashem? Instead, you have a fiery love, an attraction for materialism, for indulgence, for your heart lusts for everything, for materialism. If you don't lust for Hashem, your heart will lust for materialism. So that's the penalty of fire. Your heart is on fire, but it's a, it's, a, it's a wrong fire. It's not a healthy, wholesome fire. It's a very damaging fire. It's a death. It's a spiritual death for the soul. And then, the third paragraph, And if I have erred, sinned, and willfully transgressed before you, and caused a defect in the letter of Vav, of your great name, Yudke Vavke, by neglecting tzitzis. And the letter Nun, the third letter Nun, and I have incurred the penalty of decapitation and the like. Tzitzis is the idea of bringing bringing it down into the emotions. Tzitzis is the same root word, to go. It should leave the intellect and it should you should bring it down, it should you should assimilate it into your emotions. You should have an emotional connection with with godliness. And because you neglected the sits, the mitzvot, you didn't do the mitzvot properly, therefore as a result, you hereby accept decapitation. Decapitation means that although you may understand, you may understand godliness. But your heart doesn't respond. Your heart doesn't respond. It's like you remain indifferent. You understand it. Your mind understands it. You even enjoy it. You can even be intellectually enthusiastic about the idea. But that enthusiasm doesn't translate to your heart. You don't feel anything. It doesn't move you one way or the other. So what? So... I know the truth. I understand the truth of godliness. But it's like a person is decapitated. There's no connection between the head and the, and the heart. The head is severed from the heart. Your mind understands full well. And yet, your heart is zero response. That's, that's a death. That's a, a certain level of death for the soul. When your heart is disconnected from your mind, you can understand, understand well, and even enthusiastically, and you can explain it even. And you can talk about it, and explain it, and articulate it, and yet it leaves your heart unmoved, untouched. That's a very cruel death for the soul. It's not, it's not normal. A person who's alive, there's a connection between the, the mind and the heart. The mind affects the heart. And here it's like you're completely decapitated. And then, the fourth paragraph, and if I have urged sin and willfully transgress before you and cause a defect in the last letter, the hey of your great name, by neglecting prayer. Prayer is when a person accepts upon himself the yoke of heaven. And if a person neglects prayer, he doesn't accept upon himself the yoke of heaven. He does the mitzvot. But he does the mitzvot more out of rote, mechanically, instead of doing it with a sense of Hashem's being in Hashem's presence and accepting upon himself the yoke of heaven and being connected with Hashem, then he incurs the penalty of strangulation. So when a person realizes that as a result of sin, even a result of not fulfilling the mitzvot properly, the impact that it has on my soul, so much so that I incur, spiritually speaking, I incur the death penalty. My soul dies inside. That's enough to break your heart. That's enough to open you up. And to cause you to feel contrite. To regret. And to change. And to want to reconnect with Hashem in a real way. Let's learn,
0: side For this reason it was ordained that in the course of Kariyat Shmat bedside, one should accept the four executions of the court and so on. This acceptance is recited even by those who have never committed capital sins, because many other sins blemish the soul to the same degree as do those which are punishable by any of the four executions administered by the court. Besides, according to Saad, the mystical dimension of the Torah, causing a defect in the Yud and tetragrammaton is like incurring lapidation, causing a defect in the hay is like incurring burning, causing a defect in the vav is like incurring the sword, and causing a defect in the latter hay is like incurring strangulation. Neglecting the Shema impairs the Yud and Tefillin the hay, Titi the vav and prayer the latter hay and so on. We thus see that according to the Kabbalah, the soul can be blemished to other sins, just as by a capital sin. Undertaking the four executions clears the soul of these blemishes. From this, a thinking man can infer for other sins and transgressions, Rebbe Shlita adds, which one of the letters of the Tetragrammaton they are related to, and thus to which manner of execution. And for the sin of neglecting the study of the Torah, which is equivalent to them all, all the above lends the thinking person a contrite heart as he grows aware of the blemish caused by even his supposedly lesser sins. This contrition is the second preparatory step along the true and direct path to the lower level of repentance. The contrition crushes the Klippot and Citra and enables a man to repent truthfully, earnestly regretting his past misdeeds and firmly resolving to better his future ways.
1: The points out the spelling of the letters of Hashem's name. You know there are four different names of Hashem. The four different there's the name of Hashem. It's called the seventy-two letter, seventy-two letter name. There is the sixty-three letter name. There is the fifty-two letter name, and then there is a the forty-five letter name. Why? Why the difference between these? It all depends how we write out the name yud kevaf The different letters, how to write out Hashem's name. In other words, a letter in Hebrew if you write it out, how it sounds. Yud. But Yud, when you write it out, how it sounds, it's Yud. Yud Vav Dalet. That's Yud. Here, there's no variation. The Yud, there's no variation. And then look at the numerical value. Yud is 10, Vav is 6, Dalet is 4, so it's 20. So this is a clear 20. This has a numerical value of 20. Yud, is tw- in the way it's spelled out... It's called the filling, how you fill the word. The yud itself is ten, but when you, you, when you write it out as it sounds, not as it's written, the way it sounds. When you say the yud, when it's written, it's just a yud. It's a yud, it's ten. But when you say it, it's yud, which is yud vav dalet. Why vav? The yud, that's in Hebrew, when you say yud, you. Yud is you have to, that's how you have to spell it. We don't we're not putting any vowels. Ooh, no. Ooh. When it's a vowel, it's like a vowel. Oh, yud. No. yud uh, vowel could be oi. In this case it's yud. So U, U. is a consonant? Depends where. Here it's a ooh. So instead of a vowel. So yud is twenty. Okay. Now, then we have the hay. The hay. There's two hay's. The hay is three ways to spell the hay. I can spell he like this, hey aleph, that's six, numerical value of six. I can spell hey, hey yud, that's fifteen. Hey is five, yud is ten. Or I can spell hey, hey hey. Hey hey is ten. Vav I have three ways to spell Vav I can spell Vav-Vav You don't have to do anything else Just Vav-Vav So that's twelve I can spell Vav Vav Aleph-Vav That's thirteen Or I can spell vav yudvav 22 22 okay now let's do the combination the smallest the minimum yud is 20 hey aleph hey, hey aleph hey aleph is two hey's so tw- six and six is twelve hey
0: aleph, hey aleph. Hey aleph. Yeah, two, of them.
1: two of them you have two of them in
0: the name
1: in the name you have two haze. So 6 and 6 is 12. So 12 plus 20 is 32. And then the Vav is Vav Aleph Vav. 13. So 13 plus 32 is 45. This is the name Ma. Ma. Memhe. 45. Memhe. Memhe. If you look in the Siddur, you see he spells it out. We say it every of Shabbos, and Min- Friday before Mincha. Mincha before Shabbos. We say Pasach Elio, page 150. And you see in middle, on page 150, look at the parentheses. He says the name Mah, which is the miracle value of 45, spelled. You see how it's spelled? Yud, Yud, Vav Dalet, He Aleph, Vav Aleph, Vav, He Aleph. See the parentheses in the middle? page, so that's how he spells out you see how he writes the letters he spells out the letters hey Aleph, hey Aleph, so Yud is 20 hey Aleph is 6 hey Aleph is another 6 it's 32, and Vav is 13, Vav of Aleph is 13, so that's 45, fine that's one way then we have the name the next name the next name is called the Shame Ban. Ban is fifty-two. Ban. How do we get to ban? The Hey. Instead of the He Aleph, change it for the Hey Hey. Hey Hey is ten. Hey Hey is ten. So Yud is twenty. Hey Hey is another twenty. Two Heys. Each Hey Hey Hey. He. So it's twenty. It's forty. Add the Vav, but this is Vav Vav, just Vav Vav, nothing in between. Just Vav Vav. 12? That's Ban, that's Ban, that's the name Ban. That's 52. Okay, then you have another configuration. This is all very Kabbalistic, the four different configurations of Hashem's name. And representing the different worlds. Then you have the next one is 63, the name 63. Sag. How do we get the 63? Okay, here. We do the hay, but the hay is spelled with a yud. Sorry, what, what's the word? Sag. Sag is samar gimel, 63. The name that has an numerical value of 63. Hey. Hey yud. It's 15. So 15 and 15, two hays, is 30. Yud is 20, so it's 50. And then we have the vav, vav, alavav, it's 13. So that's 63. That gets you 63. And then how do we get to the highest? Ab, 72. The ultimate name of Hashem, the explicit name, the personal name of Hashem. By going the maximum. Okay, we already have the Yud is 20. We have the He, He. That's 15 and 15. So we're up to 50. That's 30. 30 plus 20 is 50. And then we have the maximum. The vav is vav yud vav, which is 22. So 22 plus 50 is 72. That's the same, ab, 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 ayimbez, 72, ab. So th- this is basic Kabbalah 101. Now, the Altar Rebbe is very precise. The Altar Rebbe spells out, when he spells out the yud ke vav ke, right? We're talking about the different deaths, the different spiritual deaths. That come as a result of not being careful and meticulous about fulfilling the mitzvot. Look how he spells out the letters. Okay, yud, yud is yud, yud is spelled all the same. Page ten eighty three. Look at the first paragraph. Yud, yud, vav. Okay, that's twenty. Yud, yud is yud, yud doesn't change. Then come to the hey The hey he spells hey aleph six. And again, the last hey, hey out of 6. Okay, so what are we up to? 6 and 6 is 12, plus 20, 32. How does he spell the vav? 22. What's 32 plus 22? 54. What kind of name is that? Throughout all the Kabbalah, everyone talks about... The com- this is the most common. Anyone who knows Kabbalah, the ABCs of Kabbalah, the of Kabbalah, you have the four names. Mab, Ban, 42, 52, 63, Sag, Ab, 72. This is a unique combination. We never find this combination. Actually, we do find this combination. It's a really, it's really mentioned in the Kabbalah, but there is such a combination. But it's very rare. Most students of Kabbalah never even heard of this combination. Fifty-four. Why would Alter Rebbe choose this combination of all combinations? The re- the real combination should be when and when you have hey aleph right when you have hey aleph and hey aleph at six and six plus twenty, and that's it. When you have the hey aleph, it should be vav aleph vav. Why does he choose this combination, vav yud vav? And the explanation that's given is. Why the Altered Rebbe chose an uncommon and unusual combination of Hashem's name? Because in this prayer we say that the Vav represents the Tzitzis. Now the Tzitzis has two parts to it. The Tzitzis has where it's attached and connected to the, to the, to the, to the, to the talus. And then you have the strings... That flow from it. So this resembles the Yud. The part that's connected to the tav. It's like the Yud. It's like the head. Because the Yud is the head of the Vav. The Vav starts like a Yud. And then it continues down. So it's like the Yud. And then it continues. The Vav is a continuation of the Yud. So that's why he, he, he says, he writes the Vav this way. There's a Yud. And then it has the Vav. You know, it's just it's just interesting how those who study Tanya you see every everything of the Alter Rebbe every letter and how he writes it and what he writes is so careful and it's so intentional. That nothing is just random, you know. Specific, and he's teaching us for those who notice, even in his writings and the subtleties, he's teaching us. He's teaching us a lot. He concludes the chapter saying that there's enough material for everyone, even the tzaddik, even someone who's righteous, who's doing mitzvot. But if you realize that when you don't do the mitzvah properly, how you murder your soul, something dies inside of you. Your soul is so sensitive. Something happens inside of you. And it's suicidal. We, it's self-inflicted. It's a self-inflicted wound. It's a consequence, a result of our actions, or lack of actions. Or because we did not do the mitzvah with the proper intention. So this is enough to break your heart. If you're a master accountant and you value yourself, and you value your true self, which is your spiritual self, because everything else is artificial. This is genuine. This is who you are. This is, you. this is the real you. So when you realize what you've done, it wipes the smirk off your face. That self-sense, the full sense of complacency, of contentment, of being proud of yourself, and arrogant, which is the source of all, of all sin. And your heart becomes broken, contrite, open to change. And then when you do Teshuvah, when you read the Shema and you're doing Teshuvah, then you become open to change then Hashem forgives you and you reconnect with holiness and you undo all the damage that was done. And you become healthy and vibrant and once again you become a healthy Jew and a vibrant Jew. Uh, not just subconsciously but consciously. You become connected with godliness and holiness and you become wholesome again and you feel alive and you feel fresh and rejuvenated and invigorated. This is something that's relevant to each and every Jew even the most observant Jew you Now we all need Teshuvah I think, I think uh, at the Getter Rebbe said Hashem opened the gates of Teshuvah and uh, in our generation he says <laughs> and the non-observant Jews took it <laughs> so the, the observant Jews need it, <laughs> need it desperately His Mashiach will come to return the tzaddik into Hashem. Mashiach will cause the tzaddik to do tshuva. Because till Mashiach comes, the tzaddik doesn't know that he has to do tshuva. Till you study the Tanya, you don't even know you have to do tshuva. You're riding the high horse. You're so proud of yourself. Not only are you complacent, you, you think your Hashem is, is renovating the Gan Eden for you, has to re- recreate a new paradise for you. But when you finish studying the Tanya, your heart is so broken. Any any smirk or false sense of arrogance and ego and, and false sense of ego and, and is, is falls you know falls by the wayside and you're able to truly assess yourself honestly and genuinely and then you're able to do teshuvah then you're able to restore your life then you're able to rebuild your life and instead of building your life on quicksand you're able to build your life on reality, base your life on reality with a strong foundation, a healthy foundation, and then you're able to grow and and with a with a renewed enthusiasm. Because this is the greatest threat, in a way that tzaddik is more threatened than the than the sinner. The sinner knows that he sinned. He doesn't delude himself that he didn't sin. He's just weak. I'm human and I'm weak. So I caved in, I surrendered to my Low, to my baser self, my lower self he has no threat he's not in danger of deluding himself that everything is okay he knows it's not okay but what can I do? it's a weakness doesn't pretend there's no pretense That Shaddiq is in danger like one chasseh said to the other I'm not worried about my sins I'm worried about my mitzvah because the, the good deed itself can put you to sleep everything is okay I'm okay everything is wonderful and you become complacent and then you lose it like he says here you don't read the Shema properly you you stone yourself you got stoned your heart becomes stoned your heart becomes on fire for all the wrong things you become decapitated you no longer respond naturally to your understanding your understanding doesn't evoke any emotional response you become choked Spiritually speaking. So the the tzaddik needs to shuva needs to undo the damage, the threat to the tzaddik's soul in a way is more is greater. Because he doesn't even realize that he's in danger.
2: That's lack of UD. How does he educate himself? You're saying that he didn't uh, he didn't say the Krishna of Tapu, you're meaning to say he did not connect emotionally to what was wonderful? First thing, if have
1: the First thing, yes, and then right.
2: If a person does, is ignorant, so is anonymous, how can he do shows if he doesn't know what, what he did wrong?
1: That's the problem. If the person never if studied you know, Tanya. You know what's
2: a teaching? They probably should know that. We talk about money, I'm coming, people. Right, right. They don't know anything.
1: Right, right. If a person never studied Tanya, and the person doesn't even know that there's a problem, on the contrary. They're so satisfied with themselves, they think they're like, they're like flying high, you know. Hashem is, Hashem it's is busy. It's because of ignorance. And that's the saddest thing of all. A person who's a sinner, who never grew up observant, never studied Torah, doesn't know anything, okay, you can't blame him. Not It's no fault of his own. But when a person is immersed in Torah and mitzvahs, and yet at 300 years after the Baal Shemte, never once in his life opened up a Tanya, that's the greatest tragedy of all. That's so sad, because how can you play, how can in a, how can you claim ignorance with 300 years after the Baal it's like someone saying today I'm ignorant of modern physics, you know, a hundred years after modern physics, with 300 years after the Balfemtah. So a person who still cho- chooses to drive a horse and buggy, and refuses to acknowledge the jet age and the uh, the quantum age that we live in, and just hides his hand in the sand and say if, if it was enough for my ancestors to learn Gemara all day, and I didn't have to learn Hasidus, and I didn't have to know anything about Hashem to do, that's the greatest tragedy of all. You know, if you chose to live like a caveman, when Hashem has given us such advanced technology, and such advanced knowledge and awareness, it's, it's almost inexcusable. In a way, I'm not blaming the students, but those, their leadership, who deliberately chose to teach their students, to not to go, to explicitly not to study and not to study Tanya, and not to get involved, and not connect, and not even be curious. What excuse do you have not to be curious? If you're an intellect, if you're a scholar, if you're open-minded, how could you not be curious? How could you tell someone not to learn a part of the Torah? Tell your students not to learn a part, of it, and to inculcate—worse than that—to inculcate hatred. Some individuals—that's an malicious excuse. Intent. I that's think malicious intent. not by the students. No, no. You but I'm true. saying some in the leadership who should know better. You know. You think they have malicious? Intent. You know. Listen, that's between them and Hashem. They're going to have to answer for Hashem.
2: How do you develop? It's an emotional thing. How do you how do you teach somebody to have a certain emotion when he doesn't have that emotion?
1: Well, that, that's. By running
2: time alone, you can tell there is a problem. But how do you address the nuts and bolts of it? Well, firstly, the emotions. How do you teach somebody to have a positive emotion, connecting, having a relationship with God when 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 this has to complete has response?
1: Well, we're not in control. It's a good question, a good question. We're not in control of our emotions. Just, just to conclude, Altaeb said, "How could there be a mitzvah to love Hashem? You can't control. You can't command someone to love. I do love, I don't love. You can command someone to do. You can't command someone to love." And he answered, based on Maimonides, "The mitzvah is not. And the Bal the mitzvah is not to love. It's not in your power. The mitzvah is to understand to the best of your ability to the maximum of your ability immerse your mind understand to the best of your ability now if it evokes a love I'm human I did the best that I can then it's Hashem's then it's Hashem's thing as long as I tried and I understand now naturally usually a person is affected by what you understand and that's what Al Tareb explained it says in the Shema that these words should be on your heart these words that I command you should be on top of your heart Al-Tarebi explained what does it mean it should be on top of your heart because presently our heart is closed so we put all these words we meditate and we reflect and we study and we think about it and we're putting we're piling up all these wonderful words but they're on top of our heart they're not entering due to no fault of our own that's why Hashem created us when Mashiach will come what's going to happen Hashem will suddenly open the heart and suddenly everything that you knew will like trigger it'll like sink in because it's there, it's waiting, waiting to sink in. It's just our hearts are clogged, our hearts are, are limited. We just don't respond to godliness the way we should respond. The way a healthy person should respond naturally to godliness, to reality, the ultimate reality. Our hearts are closed, so to us it's abstract. So we learn and we study and we meditate and reflect, but it remains on our heart. And Hashem doesn't hold us responsible, that's, that's Hashem's job. Mashiach is Hashem's job. Mashiach, Hashem has to open our heart. We can't do that. Hashem will open our heart and that's, that's what we've been waiting for all these thousands of years if all it would take to bring Mashiach would be to buy a Nalal ticket to make the journey from New York to, to Israel I think we can all afford that ticket Mashiach would have been there a long time ago <laughs> but the journey that we're waiting to make is a different journey and we've been, waiting thousands, we've been working on it for thousands of years and we're still not there yet it's the journey from the subconscious to the conscious from the inner heart to the outer heart and that we've been working and chipping away for thousands of years. All that sac- sacrifice and Torah and mitzvot, we're refining and opening, and the heart still is still clogged. At least I can speak for myself. So Mashiach hasn't come yet, but the, in any moment, all it takes is a moment because we have the information, we know the information. We're studying the Tanya, we're studying Chassidus, we understand, we're learning, we're trying to understand it, we're trying to assimilate, to absorb it, to internalize. We're we're learning, we're coming to classes, we're teaching, we're learning, we're trying. Everything is ready to go. Mashiach will come. Suddenly, it will click. Suddenly, it will hit us. Suddenly, we will understand. Our hearts will understand. Our hearts will respond because Hashem will open our hearts. So That's the mitzvah. You have to put it on your heart. What happens next, that's, that's Hashem's problem. As long as I did the best that's humanly possible. I tried my hardest. My mind is immersed. That I am in control of. My mind, I am in control of. I'm not in control of my heart, but I'm definitely in control of my mind. And if I study, and I learn, and I absorb, and I internalize, and I, to the best of my ability, then I have fulfilled the mitzvah of loving Hashem. And the rest is in Hashem's hands. What
2: is the problem with the tzaddik? Exactly.
1: That's what he's saying, that even the tzaddik has to do tshuva. And you even know, the tzaddik, 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 tzaddik is talking, but, with he didn't be to oh, because he, he it it's according to his ability. Hashem Echad means there's no other reality but Hashem, so therefore it has to be 100%. You have to get it 100% with every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. Because if you only serve Hashem 99%, then it's a contradiction to Hashem Echad. If you're saying Hashem Echad, Hashem is an absolute reality, absolute reality is not 99.9, it has to be 100%. So if I'm serving Hashem, but one part of me is reserved, and I don't really, really, truly get it, that Hashem is has one, so much so that I'm jumping out of my skin as a result, and I'm, you know, that it, if I don't respond appropriately, that means I haven't read the Shema properly. I didn't really get the message of Hashem Echad. So everyone according to their level, the greater the person, the greater the challenge to fulfill Hashem Echad, to really get it, Hashem Echad, that I should be jumping out of my skin, ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for the sake of the unity of Hashem, that's everyone according to their level. Maybe a simple person, it takes them very little to get inspired. A great person, especially someone who was inspired yesterday, it's hard to get up there, you know, the next day. You know, I've been there, done that, now I need... A little deeper stimulation, a little of a deeper understanding of Hashem Achad. And if you don't achieve that for the tzaddik, that's considered the equivalent, the the penalty. That's the, considered the equivalent of a sin, which robs you of your soul, which and destroys the your common, soul. What? The How much more is over the common person than a but common person? Also
2: per- gets you know so if you have uh, you have hope, uh, get stoned
1: also. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it happens yeah. to all of us. Yeah, he's more <laughs> Unfortunately, it happens to all of us. When our, our heart is like a stone. We don't respond. Or we're on fire for all the wrong things. Or we feel decapitated. Our emotions don't respond. To what we do understand has no effect on our hearts.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.